All right. Hello, everyone. And I am so happy that you guys are here for the 10th episode of Conversations with My Black Grandpa. Now, you may not think of that as much of a milestone, but trust me, if you do my job, you would think it is. But with that being said, some of you guys may know that school is right around the corner for some of us, aka me, which means that I will still be getting this content and these episodes out to you guys consistently ain't no slowing down with me with the lord helping me obviously but if push comes to shove and i can't get it done just pray for me guys just bear with me but with that being said i want you guys to jump in right to this conversation so peace well granddaddy uh how was your birthday that you just recently celebrated uh, it was um enjoyable in my own way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what did you do uh the main thing i went to a workshop mm-hmm. and uh learned about how to encourage people to give to a good cause mm-hmm. do you mind it's, sharing how old you turned it's <laughs> uh sponsored by oh did you say something about, i said you want to share how old you turned oh yeah I don't, I don't mind saying um, <laughs> born in 70 in uh, 46 that makes me 77 oh uh, yeah you don't look a day over 60 oh my How about <laughs> that? I, I remember back when I used to be 60 <laughs> long time ago so what was the workshop about again it was about how to encourage people to give to a good cause and uh, the book of Philippians chapter 4 was the basis for it. Uh, how Paul was talking about how the Philippians were able to support his ministry. And so we should have a goal of having like monthly donors who repeat. They said the average, the average monthly donation is $52. Mm. And the average annual donation is a hundred and some dollars. And if you take fifty-two times twelve, that'll give you around six hundred and some dollars. So looking at monthly donors would be much more superior than annual donors. Mm-hmm. So today, um, as you guys can as you guys can see, there is no like actual topic for episode today i just think in honor of it being our 10th episode this is our 10th time doing this granddaddy can you believe it no i'm (laughs) sorry i agree with whatever that is you just said (laughs) (laughs) i said this is our 10th episode like this is our 10th time recording okay then we we got plenty we could talk about now Mm mm-hmm but I just want to put some of the ideas back on the drawing board for right now and just, you know, have today let, just see what's on your mind and, you know, pick your brain for today. Okay. And I have, um, I had a real strong uh, message today from, from the Lord. He laid it on me and it said, you got to create structure in the process. Now, just in case people don't know, I have this strong conviction that the only progress that black people can make will be made by black people taking responsibility for their own progress. Mm -hmm. 
not looking to politicians or government or philanthropists or any of the different ways and means. Don't look to that as being the savior for black Mm -hmm. people because we have had plenty of opportunities for all that to work. And we have now in history the lowest home ownership since the 50s for black people. Now, it looked like we would have made progress since the 1968 Free Housing uh, Act was put in place. But no, we went downhill, not up. So our ownership now is the lowest been since back in the 50s before segregation was ended. Um, I think that we have had all kinds of governmental programs that were supposed to bring us out of our condition. But people don't realize nobody, I mean the country officially doesn't want us to come out of our condition. Individuals might. But the country has some basic policies in place that does not uh, allow for us to be able to come out of our condition. Uh, Too much has been put in place to say that that's not supposed to happen. So they said no reparation. If you want to be a justice uh, with a Supreme Court justice, you cannot be in favor of doing reparation for black people. They don't want to recognize what has been done to us as being bad. They want to take it out of history so you don't even talk about it. They do see the country has an agenda that they don't want to do what is right for us. And you can be individually disagreeing with that, but the country has a policy. And I don't care how many disagreements might happen amongst the people in high places, that's one thing they agree on. And that is, don't give black people an advantage that's equal to everybody else. Maybe to one person or somebody, but not to the whole group. In fact, that is a national policy. Um, Now, if you try to do something, you'll find a whole lot of pushback. Uh, Now, since we have or should have understood that this is national policy, that we do not become equal to everybody else and should not have equal opportunities as others, you know, like immigrants can come over and get all kind of help and getting started in business and all that. And instead of that being done for us, that little business we do get started, they start looking at how they can stop that. You know, how they can bring that to a close uh, by using all kinds of government regulations to try to stop it. Now, what is it that we should do? I'm saying a little bit about what the government is doing, but that's not really the focus. The focus is on what we are going to do. And so I call it taking responsibility. Now, the idea of taking responsibility means that we have to ask ourselves, what can we do? 
to begin to make progress, collective progress. And there are some serious issues that we have to deal with. One is that we have to start liking being black, not seeing it as some default curse, something that happened to us and wish we could be out of it. If we had to do it all over again, I would be this and I'll be that. If you had to do it all over again, that is, if you had a choice to be born all over again as a physical person, what would you choose to be? And would you choose to be black or would you choose to be something else? Now, if you choose, want to, if you said, if I had a chance, chance to start all over and be another human being, would I choose to be black? And your answer tells you about you. If you say, I choose to be somebody else, that tells you about you. Mm-hmm. How you feel about who you are now. And so that makes you a very weak person when it comes to doing what's good for our people is because you don't like being us. <laughs> you don't like being black. And so you can't possibly like other folk being black if you don't like being black. So the idea here is that that's the first encounter we got to have is to encounter ourselves in the mirror to determine are we on our side or not. Now, if you don't want to be black, then you're not on our side. Mm. Now, you might say, but why should I want to be black? Why shouldn't you not want to be black? (laughs) 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 I mean, God knew what he was doing when he created you. Mm -hmm. Are you saying God didn't have it together? Are you saying God didn't have it a good understanding? No, God created man in his image after his likeness. And all scientific information says you can't start with nobody but black folk in order to create other folk. And so you're looking at the original product here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And so why don't you like the original product? Now, what other people think about you is not God talking about you. That's other people. And they might have some jealousy. They might say, I sure wish I had that brown skin, just like they do. How come I can't? So there's some people who might not feel good about having white skin. They might wish they had dark skin. In fact, tanning lotion is intended to help skin get darker. And a lot of people like getting a deep, dark tan. So we don't have to get a deep, dark tan. And when the sun comes out, we can stay in the sun. We can sweat and talk about how hot it is. (laughs) But we're not talking about being afraid of sunburn per se. I'm not saying you can't get a little heat bump. But basically, the melanin in your skin is protecting you from the UV rays that helps you become protected, more protected, from skin cancer than those who don't have melanin. So feel good about that that protein called melanin in your skin because that's a protection from the sun dangerous UV rays. 
Uh, as far as our intelligence is concerned, if you look at some of the break, greatest breakthroughs we had in throughout the history of the country and the world, a lot of our breakthroughs came from people with a lot of melanin in their skin. Uh, the agricultural breakthrough that Dr. George Washington Carver did, and I'm not going to call all the names, but many of the innovations in electronic communication, like the um, like uh, the the cell phone and all that, those are engineered by, in many cases, black engineers. We just don't see their faces, but we see the products, and we don't know. We assume they came from somebody else. Uh, we already know through the movie called Hidden Figures how the moon the moon uh, trip was mathematically uh, put in place by a black woman, Miss mm-hmm. Catherine. Uh, so, and the the uh, IBM computer was set up at NASA by a black woman, and and so on. We had a black engineer. So what we're saying is a lot of our black smart people get they get to be no name people mm. and behind the scene people. We think that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. A whole lot of people say that day after day. How did you get to think that Thomas Edison invented the light bulb? Then somebody said, "Oh, uh, Homer was the Homer Latimer." I believe Latimer. Uh, he invented the filament that's make the light bulb shine. Mm. I said, oh. So Thomas Edison invented the blown out light bulb. The one you throw in the trash can. Mm. But the one that has a filament that glows, that was invented by uh, Mr. Latimer, I believe. And uh, he was in Mr. Edison's laboratory and Mr. Edison couldn't get it to burn he found a way to do it but Mr. Edison said I get the credit (laughs) and that's all to it somebody does the work another person gets the credit Uh, but now my point is we have plenty of intelligence we don't have to be concerned about that all we got to think about now how to get ourselves out of the self-hatred idea of wanting to be somebody else and then that's what I call the inferiority complex of thinking you're not as good as somebody else and then the individualism to see yourself as separate from from other black people individualism is really hurting us because it makes us feel like I'm not part of a group, I'm just an American I'm just a human but you're part of a group of people who have melanin in their skin and African uh, heritage and some kinky hair and uh, some broad noses and some thick lips and and stuff like that, you know, and brown hair, brown eyes and black hair. Uh, basically, that group that has African blood, that's your group. Now, the thing is, in this country, we went through about 400 years of oppression. So we have to understand that during all that oppression, 
our minds have been messed with, I say. We have been given some bad thinking. That bad thinking is just like training an elephant in a circus. You can have an elephant that has the ability to do some great things, but when he's a baby, you can train him to be obedient so that when he's a grown-up, he's still being obedient, even though his ability to do is much greater now. Now, that's the idea of the circus elephant, is that he's now obedient to his trainer. We have been, we've been raised over and over again to become servant to our oppressor. In other words, children born on the plantation were trained by the plantation owner, how he's supposed to think, how he's supposed to act. And that you go through several generations that. And then they watch people who don't obey being beaten and being treated all kind of ways, starved and all that. They using the stick and carrot. If you think this way, you get rewarded. You think against the, the will of the master, you get punishment. And that punishment could be anything up to death. So what we have here is all this pressure that's been put on our brain to make us submit to another human as being superior to us. Now, wait a minute. God didn't have that put in place like that. So that's a human invention to say these humans are inferior to these humans. That's an invention that was created by humans. God didn't do that. Don't worry about that story about Ham was <laughs> cursed in the Bible when Noah said he saw him naked and so he put a curse on Ham. Now you read that, you won't find that in the Bible. You'll find that Noah said cursed be Canaan. Hmm. Canaan is the son of Ham. Now don't ask me why he said that, but he said that. <laughs> and that's the land that the that was called the promised land. And so God had the Israelites of for I don't know how many years now, because this is Noah time. So many, many, many hundreds of years later, God had the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan and to, to kill the people and to push them out and take their land. In a way, you might say, Canaan was being punished, so to speak. Uh, because God gave the land of Canaan to the Hebrews, the Israelites. Uh, but that's the only reference about the curse was made to Canaan. It wasn't made to Ham. Ham had some old children, including Nimrod and all the rest of them. So all uh, those people were not named in the curse. However, he didn't say that the curse was being dark-skinned. Mm-hmm. He said they were going to be servants of the other person. Now, being a servant doesn't mean that you're inferior, but that that was having to do with the Canaan. However, some Bibles, I think the Schofield Reference Bible, am I coming to Schofield? I believe it is, that um, 
has it in their commentary that black people were cursed by Noah to be subservient to white people. And so a lot of people have been taught that that's why black people are in the position we're in because we are cursed by God. Not true. And so therefore, we're using the Bible to do to defend how black people are being treated in this country. So, we have to now know that we are God's originals, uh, and therefore anyone else is a descendant of us or people of Africa. Now, what is it that we need to take responsibility for? Mm-hmm. And this is something I ask for. I mean, I say I talk to God about it every day. I said, I need some people who would read, who would study, who would learn, who would apply what they learn so they use knowledge to apply so they can solve real problems. They have to learn how to work together with other black people. They have to become knowledgeable of what is happening to us or what has happened because we have been taken and manipulated to think that if we do something good for black people that's something wrong with that Mm. so I have a little statement it goes like this do what's good for black people that's one my other statement is what's good for black people is good for America now those are my statements because what's good for black people is going to be good for the whole country. Because the whole country is being brought into decay because of their commitment to try to keep us subordinated and separated. And that, since this uh, commitment to do that is killing the country. So, we have to be... Now, to find people who are willing to read, study, learn, all that is a real challenge. But that would be the cream of the crop. What do you read? What do you study? What do you learn? You got to focus it on creating a black community. You say, wait a minute, what you talking about? Look around and see any group of people coming to this country, they create themselves uh, an enclave, a place to live where they can talk their language, they can buy from each other, they can live almost like they did in the old country. But when we did it in this country, we did it. It's not like we hadn't done it. We did it in this country. After uh, the 19, 1865, we had black settlements that formed little sections of town or little villages or little places and we did well. But this country had a policy that we should not be successful. So they allowed poor whites to attack our villages and towns and to kill and to burn and to loot. And then to just pretend it didn't happen. And this is the statement that would be said in the newspaper. It was done by persons unknown. And that would be the end of it. No re- no investigation, no arrest, no nothing. In fact, those who actually lead, led in the 
these kind of activities could go around and brag about what they did and nobody had any problem with that. Now you do that over a period of time and you'll find those little enclaves being disappearing from the face of the country. Those com- those communities. For example, everybody just about knows about Tulsa, Oklahoma where Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma was one of those very wealthy black settlements that was destroyed by uh, by the United States through local people and the National Guard and those who could hit airplanes and drop bombs on it. So that little part of town was about 20 some uh, blocks were destroyed. And the people were arrested and put in a, a, a detention center until some white person could vouch for them. They were seen as the criminals. The people who were victimized were seen as the criminals. That's just one. But well, we have hundreds of incidences like that. Mm-hmm. Florida has country. one called Rosewood. Exactly. That's the one they made a movie out of. So a lot of people mm-hmm. know about that one. Uh, but then not too many people might know about uh, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, or East St. Louis, uh, Illinois, <clears throat> or even about South Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Memphis was a black settlement that was attacked by whites and killed 90 some people and burned down houses and schools and churches. The thing is, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, had uh, an election. It elected uh, a a black and white election and elected a black mayor and stuff like that. And uh, a mob performed a coup. Now, he's a a legally elected office of people and they're in Central City Hall and the mob says we don't like the election so they had a coup they went down and physically took over city hall and killed and destroyed the people who were elected and if they didn't run they'd get killed and so and the leader of the mob became the mayor and the country didn't have a problem with that because they have a policy See, the country has a policy. That was okay. That's in line with their policy. Are you able to name that specific policy by any chance or like know where people can go to view it or research it? A particular... Like name for the policy? Do you remember it? The name of the policy that mm-hmm. the country has? Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like um, you have to look at... See, the country had to... They wrote their policies in a way to make them not say vague. They made them kind of vague. Mm-hmm. But if you look at individuals who who had uh, commentary to say, Lincoln said. Now Lincoln is the one who is given credit for freeing the slaves, but Lincoln didn't do that. Uh, he was in office when it was done. Uh, Lincoln 
said he did not think the country could be successful with blacks and whites both being on equal basis. Uh, he did, he felt like that would be a problem. There were several, and I, I'm not, I know that Governor Seach, C-E-E-C-H, uh, and by the way, a book is called The Shaping of Black America. Mm-hmm. That will give you real documentation on the policy. Uh, written by Leron Bennett. He did some incredible research and get the quotes of different people who helped to shape the policy that the country has. And he would say uh, that the governor Seach, that is, before it became a country, they had already started working on this. He was governor of uh, Virginia, I believe. And he was asked why they were creating this two-class society, you know, the white class and the black class. And he said, we do not want the black group, the black people, to feel equal to the white people. Now, he didn't use white, he used English, the Englishmen. They didn't want the black folk to feel equal to the Englishmen. So they had to create laws that would subordinate them and make them not able to function in their society like the whites could. So they created laws. And they always, they've been creating laws ever since, uh, laws that create the division between blacks and whites. Um, and so uh, another book that helps to make this clear is a book called Black Labor, White Wealth by Claude Anderson. And he showed, he gives you a list of all the laws that were put in place to create the policy of we don't want blacks to be equal to white. And I, I haven't gotten his reference, but there's a young man, a young white man on YouTube that was given his position based on his research is that our problem in this country was created by the government, the people who made the laws. They made laws that helped to create the the way blacks are being treated differently from the way whites are being treated. So the laws are being made that will create this problem that we have. Uh, it was quite obvious that the country made those laws because if white people tried to become friendly with black people and treat them as regular people, they would become criticized by white people. And Mm -hmm. they have a name, they call them. They call them end lovers. Uh, So that that was a stigma that they gave to people who treated blacks as regular people. So uh, they had they had they 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 had a, a, a something called a carrot and stick uh, policy. A carrot means that we do things give you privilege. We give you privileges as a white person. However, if you don't do as a white person should do, then we have a stick. We punish you for not doing what you should do. Now, this carrot and stick was used for blacks and whites. Whites had to act white, and blacks had to act black. And that means whites have to act superior and blacks have to act inferior. Now, it didn't make any difference who's intelligent. 
you could be a most uneducated black white person, but you were told you are superior to this highly educated black person because of your white skin. Uh, Jane Elliott, another authority, she has um, done quite a bit of work on the racism thing. When it comes to that, Jane Elliott is a white authority that talked about the very thing of how the country perpetuated white superior white supremacy. Francis uh, Wellson, W E L I N G. Uh, Francis Wellson is a, was I think she's passed now a psychiatrist who uh, did research her full lifetime was spent studying the motivation behind white supremacy and she came to the conclusion that white supremacy is based on the understanding that if blacks and whites didn't have this separation that the white population would disappear so in order to keep white folk white they had to keep them away from non-white folk or give them a mind to would not want to be with non-white folk. And this fear was so strong that it made it was like a European policy of trying to preserve white people. Mm-hmm. I just <clears throat> I Go just ahead. finished um reading Frederick Douglass's um book, like uh-huh. a narration of his life. Uh-huh. And he quoted his, he, I think when he was enslaved, when he was younger, he, um, he like did something wrong or like was starting to read. He was starting to learn to read from his female master who was nice in quotes, a nice master compared to his other ones. And he was learning to read, but the male master, like the husband was like, don't teach this and to read because then he's going to become smart and then he's going to want to revolt and then after he revolts, he's going to want to kill us. What? <laughs> and like they do, like even he was able to quote his master verbatim on what he thought. Like if my, they, if my slave becomes free, then I die instead, not him. So I have to keep my slave in, or keep, again, as he said, black people inferior in order for me to stay alive, which is like right. a now, huge see, jump. The thing about it. When you have the slave master situation, it looks like it's you or me. Mm-hmm. Either I keep you down or you're going to get me down. Mm-hmm. Now, after the Civil War, the country had to deal with what we're going to do now to keep this inferior, superior mentality. What are we going to do? So at one time, the country said, through the act of government, they said we're going to treat black folk like regular people. And they call it reconstruction. And in order to do it, they had to have soldiers in the South to protect black people from being attacked by white people. So black people could function and do whatever they want to do and and they didn't have to worry about white folk killing them because the soldiers were down here to keep that from happening. Mm-hmm. Well, until 1860, 1877, 
And that's when Rutherford B. Hayes and another candidate were running for president. And so they had a compromise. And so the compromise was if the Democrats allowed the Republicans to win, Rutherford B. Hayes, then Rutherford B. Hayes, as a Republican, would take the troops out of the South and leave the South back, let the South go back to the, into the hands of the whites, which would then make blacks to become another, or go through another age of victimization. So they made that agreement, and when Brother B. B. Hayes got in office, first thing he started doing is pulling the troops out the South. And that gave blacks no protection, and all the land that had been allotted to blacks was taken back and given back to the white folks. So you see, the land that we had, the government took it back. Not people took it back. Mm. The government took it back. When 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 the Congress passed a law that says all freedmen would get forty acres and a mule the president vetoed it, Andrew Johnson. You see, when the Congress passed a civil rights law that says blacks would have equal protection under the law, the Supreme Court overturned it. 1863, 1883, they overturned it. See, the government is working to keep what you see. They're not trying to change that. <laughs> they want it like it is. In fact, they they really worked hard to create what we see now. Um, because it's it's easy to solve this problem. It's easy to solve this problem, but the government has a commitment to make sure it doesn't get solved. They can talk all they want to. Are you sure it's, it's you know, easy if the root of white supremacy is that they think they have to keep black people inferior, inferior in order for their own color to survive? If people have that mindset at, and are holding a position in government, how do we, how do we as black people, like, show that we're safe for what, them? Man? Like, how do we... Um... How did I say? Oh, you said it's easy to fix this problem, but if their problem oh, okay. is fear, let's, let's think about let's think about what I mean. Okay. When they passed the Civil Rights Bill of eighteen sixty six, they said that we had protection under the law. Mm-hmm. What that means is that you can't do harm to a black person and get away with it. You you get see what I'm saying? See, mm-hmm. uh, we have we have. A, a long period of time, like two, three, two hundred years, four hundred years of what you do to black folk, not seen as a crime. Stealing his land is not seen as a crime. Shooting a black person not seen as a crime. Now, now you might say, how many people have been shot in the back by a policeman and not seen as a crime? Now policemen don't have the right to shoot people in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they can shoot people if they feel, you know, a person 
attacking them or shooting at them or something like that. But somebody who's running away, you're not supposed to pick your gun up and blow them away because they're running. But the idea, though, is that protection under the law is simple as that. You examine it in court to see whose rights were violated, and that becomes consequential. But the testimony of a black person is supposed to have as much weight in court as the testimony of a white person. They are human. They can testify. But we have a real situation of a man going to prison because the witness was a white man who was already in jail. While in jail, he said that he heard this man, black man, confess to this crime. That's what he said he heard. Okay, well, while he's in jail, so they bring him out of jail and go to court and let him testify as a witness. The, the black man has 26 other people who can witness that he was not near where the crime took place. These were black people who could testify that he was not, because he was at something like a family reunion or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they all of them said, well, yeah. Is this Walter... Walter something, Walter McMill. I think I know you're talking about. Is it from Just Mercy? From what? Do you know the book Just Mercy? Oh. Uh, With Brian Stevenson. Let me make sure I got his name right. Oh. Uh, Just Mercy. I uh, I got this from like a documentary kind of thing. Oh. It sounds similar to a a story that he wrote about in the book. Okay. About a white white guy. He was in jail. Sounds just like it. mm -hmm, And um, he knew the black guy didn't do it because like he just he he was he wasn't even a reliable witness. But I think the police tortured him into testifying and like giving him like a plea deal. If you say that this black man killed this girl, then we'll give you a lighter sentence or set you free. Something like that. Uh, of course, you can see right there that that's a, a a frame to create guilt for the black person. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you need to do to make a black person guilty. Uh, there's a a man who wrote a book right here in Memphis, uh, Rico uh, Booth. Rico Booth. Uh, he wrote a book called "Why So Many Black Men Are in Prison." And he was telling about his experience in court with uh, Judge Gibbons, Judge Gibbons, and um, and he said that he was, you know, his witnesses were gagged pretty well; they could not testify in his in his uh, in his favor. Uh, so, um, even though they were going to say he was not in, he was not aware of the crime. They, she would not allow them to testify. So he went to jail for four and a half years because of the gag. They were the witnesses were manipulated not to testify in his favor. In fact, one of the witnesses was told that if you testify, I'm going to consider it perjury, and you're going to have an extended sentence. You're going to get more time in prison if you testify. So he didn't say nothing. So this person then went to jail because they kind of manipulated the um, proceedings so he mm-hmm. couldn't get 
nobody could witness that he was not guilty. Now, a lot of defense attorneys called public defendants, they tell their defendants to plead guilty to get a lighter sentence. Not that you are guilty, but not but to get a lighter sentence. Say, Wait a minute, but I didn't do it. Well, it doesn't matter. You're not going to win if you try to fight it in court, so just well to plead guilty. So a lot of people who didn't commit crime are being advised to plead guilty in order to get a so-called lighter sentence, which is more than what you deserve because you didn't commit a crime. Um, but the, so that's bas- so basically then, if we know that we have such a commitment to keeping us in our place, we have to think for ourselves. And we have to read and study and learn and use our knowledge to help ourselves improve, to help ourselves make progress. We can't have this self-hatred and hating our dark skin and hating each other and not even knowing why we hate each other. And we should have obey the laws of God, tell the truth, be honest, and work together for our mutual collective benefit in a community setting. I don't think it will work without a physical community setting. If we try to do it some other way, at some point we got to come down to the ground and be on the ground. You got to own some land. When God talked to the Israelites, he always talked about them having their own land. He never did say they're going to do fine as sojourners. He wanted to give them a place. And so any people need to have a place that they can call home, that where people value them and can develop them to become like what they should be and don't have to fight against those who don't like them. You need a place uh, that people can value you and develop you in the way you should be. Uh, and even though we have been destroyed in the past, I don't think that we should stop doing it. I think we should do it now. Don't worry about what happened to us in the past, except let's just do do it now because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great note to end off today's episode. What do you think? Okay. Are we at that point? Yeah, we're way over. Uh-oh. <laughs> but that's, it's, it's good because... I feel like you sometimes it's necessary to go into detail like this isn't something you can just skip over and just kind of summarize without you know getting into the details or you know going a little bit more in depth for some people who may not be able to have this kind of conversation in everyday language you can try reading a book but then if the words get too you know mixed up in your mind it it can sometimes feel intimidating to try and read it from a highly researched book but I think one of the advantages that you have granddaddy is that you're able to put it into a language even a teenager can understand or anybody of any age any education level and um, any background can sort of kind of understand so okay mm-hmm. well good I'm hoping that we become more proactive in dealing with our condition and not to look to politicians or any other outsider for 
the help we need because the greatest opportunity we have now is working together and learning how to do it and uh, to not let differences make us feel like we can't work together. So that's the reason I believe communities have to learn how to become strong. And churches have to learn how to become community-focused. And that, to me, is how we should look at it. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Conversations with My Black Grandpa. I hope you either learned something, remembered something, or will do something based off of what you heard. And if you guys are regular listeners to our podcast, I highly recommend you let us know in our Instagram comments of converse at should be conversations with my black grandpa or cwmbg i got it right this time guys getting the hang of it or you can go under my facebook at brian trotman b-r-e-o-n-n-e trotman because grand sam and i would love to hear from you and what you guys like about the podcast or any topics that you want us to discuss in the future because that is totally fine as well but with that being said i will see you guys in august peace